0: Well, good morning again. The title of the message this morning is Embracing God's Foolishness. That's because the world sees the gospel as foolish. So let's just embrace it, shall we? All right. We're continuing our series today in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians. A second grade teacher says to her students, if there are any fools in this class, please stand up. Well, these second graders were really smart, so none of them stood up. But after 10 seconds, little Johnny stood up, and the teacher thought she had one. And she said, so you're a fool, huh? And Johnny responded without missing a beat. No, ma'am, I felt sorry for you standing all alone. We're back in 1 Corinthians, and we know that Paul preached the gospel in Corinth in the early 50s during his second missionary journey. Opposition grew fierce there, and the Lord Jesus spoke to him in a vision, assuring him that he had many people in the city. And with this encouragement, Paul stayed on for 18 months. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And I got a little uh, uh, optimistic. We're going to go to verse 25 today. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are per- perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, there's just a lot going on in in a lot of our lives, but Lord, let us never forget The main thing is the main thing, and that's spreading the gospel. That's telling people about you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for those that are here and for those that are not here, whether due to sickness or illness, and to those that you are calling, Lord, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We thank you for them in advance, and we pray for them, Lord, that they would be saved, that they would know you in a greater way and in greater detail. And we give you all the honor and the blessing, Lord. Use us in spite of ourselves, we ask. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God And the church said, Amen. amen. Today's life principle, Jesus is foolishness to the world. Embrace the foolishness. First of all, we need to live God's foolishness. Y'all seeing a pattern here yet? Okay, good. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. First of all, what is the message of the cross that Paul refers to here? That God showed us how exceedingly sinful we are through the Old Testament and its laws. It reveals our sin so that we have no excuse. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So we know that is in ourselves and who we are that we cannot keep God's law perfectly. It's impossible because of our sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, me, the Pope, Billy Graham, everybody who's ever lived. His false sin has fallen short of the glory of God. So what was to be done? Well, God came in the flesh, that is in the incarnation of Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He did signs and wonders and miracles. And he proclaimed himself God, the second in the Trinity. He died and rose again after three days in the grave. And he declared himself the victor over death, hell, and the grave forevermore. Because of this, he bestowed grace upon those who are being saved. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, not possibly, but will be. The simple truth of of the cross is saving knowledge. It is the life-changing power of God for the believer. When you look at this from the world's perspective, it seems like folly, it seems like foolishness, it seems stupid. But when we look at this verse in ancient Greek, it means to the people of the world, those who are being destroyed. Those who are being destroyed. Those who are perishing. Those that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the people. It seems like nonsense. They don't get it. They can't get it. Why? Because they aren't regenerate believers. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what do we know? Well, here's what we know. Romans five eighteen again. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So does that mean we can just go on sinning? You know, I've heard people say, what do you mean you can't lose your salvation? You can just go do whatever you want. no. No, it doesn't mean that. The born again believer doesn't want to sin. They don't want to go on sinning because they know it causes God pain. It hurts his heart. And out of our love for him, we don't want to do that to him. If you do, then you're not saved. If you don't care, then you're hard-hearted. Romans 6, 1-4 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not! Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Does this mean that we will always walk in righteousness and never sin again. No. But it does mean that we try not to sin and we ask God to clean us up. There's a big churchy word for that called sanctification. It's a progressive thing throughout the life of the believer. Starts at salvation and continues until our death. This process will happen throughout your life throughout your time on earth. If it hasn't happened and nothing has changed, then you're not saved. Sorry if that's too real for you. No, I'm not. But anyway. So what should we do when we do sin? Let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I heard about A preacher one time, any preacher that ever tells you these words, he's not a preacher, he's not a man of God. But he said, I don't sin anymore. And I'd like to say, yeah, you did, you just lied. We've been told that the power of God is in the gospel, and it is. That the most wise of this world will perceive it as nonsense, though. They won't get it. But God says in 1 Corinthians 1 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Quick question Why would God not use human wisdom to get across his message? Quick answer because he's God. Because He transcends all of creation. He's beyond what we can think, what we can know. Plainly speaking, because He chose not to use our stupidity for His plans. Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. So we have a choice. We either do it God's way or we continue going down the road to death. What does that road to death lead to? Hell. You see, without the free gift of God, that cost Him so much, by the way, free to us, but cost Him, we're already dead and heading down the road to hell without Him. You're already dead. You're born in sin. It is God's mercy that allows us to get off that road and become regenerate believers in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 8, 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It does not mean that the Old Testament law is sinful, no. It means that the law shines a light on the sin that's already there. You can see how exceedingly sinful you are because of it. In a day and in a time where people are saying the Old Testament is nothing more than allegory, handed down, rewritten... That destroys what's called the inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that there is no error in Scripture, by the way. The Old Testament law shows us our sin. We were once controlled by a different law, though, and that law is called sin and death. We were slaves of sin and could not break free. But Jesus came and bought us and made us His slaves. Just as a side note, most of the time when you see the word servant translated in the New Testament, when it refers to Jesus, it actually means slave. Different kind of slavery, though. It was the slavery of the first century than what you think about that happened in this country and around the world. Romans 6.20 says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Speaking of freedom, I got a little story for you. The 4th of July was coming up and the nursery school teacher took the opportunity to tell her class about freedom in the United States. Now, I know Miss Vivian and Miss Amanda will love this story. So Says we live, She said, we live in a great country. One of the things we should be happy is that in this country, we are all free. And one little boy came walking up to her from the back of the room. He stood with his hands on his hips and he said, I'm not free, I'm for <laughs> you know it's good when Brother A.W. says that's good. <laughs> Preach God's foolishness. Preach God's foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Paul brings home some truth here. He asks where where their wise people are, these people that you look up to, these learned people, which were the scribes and the philosophers at the time. Then they say to the church, has not God made them all look foolish? Today, we got a lot of people who are wise in their own eyes. You can find them in the church. You can find them outside the church. You can find them just about anywhere. They speak elegantly. They tickle people's ears, telling them what they want to hear. Let me give you two large examples. Here's two examples, broadly speaking. Those that can accept that there is a God. There are those in this world that can accept that there is a God. But he wants them to be their errand boy. He wants God to be the celestial Santa Claus. Now we find this popularized in the word faith movement. Speaking of, if you missed Wednesday, it's on our website, fbcmen.org. Click on live stream and look at our archives. It's there. We'll be doing Mormonism this week, so be here for that. Five o'clock. Now that I've done that plug, let's move on. And then there's a second type of person. Those that don't want to be held accountable to their sin. So they deny that God exists at all. And they call all of us stupid. Most of these people are called atheists. Atheist means no God. That's what it means. But by the way, there's no such thing as an atheist. Did you know that? There isn't. See, to be a true atheist, you would have to know for certain that there is no God. And you can't know for certain everything unless you are God. So that makes you God, which we know you're not, because you're human. So at best, you're an agnostic. You don't know whether there's a God or not. You just believe that there's not. By the way, once you, get, once you get someone to admit that they're not an atheist, that they're an agnostic, you're one step closer in your evangelistic efforts. Anybody who is, is truly uh, thinking, they will admit it. If they just want to avoid their sin, they won't admit it. They'll call you every name in the book and walk away. I've had that happen. That's just a side note, and I give you that one for free. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. God saw that no matter how smart or wise we think we are, which by the way does produce pride and arrogance, that we would never draw near to him, not on our own. It's like he said, oh yeah, well, I'm going to spread salvation through human beings ...preaching about how I choose to bring salvation and satisfy my justice. This message to the world seems like nonsense. And so does the method of transmitting this message to the world... ...through preaching. The foolishness of preaching. You know, preaching the gospel in today's society in America... ...it's not going to win you any points... As a matter of fact, America is becoming more and more hostile towards the true gospel. They don't call sin, sin anymore. And if you use the word sin from the pulpits or even out in the pew or while you're witnessing to your co-workers, and you say they need to repent of their sin and surrender all they have to Jesus, you're going to get some angry people even from so-called evangelical churches. How dare you tell me I have sin? I'm here to feel good. Good. You should feel good after unloading your sin to Jesus Christ, that He has saved you from your sin. Why is this? Why do we have people like that even in the churches today? Because they have traded the truth for a lie. They want to feel good and be affirmed in their sin. They want their best life now. Folks, I don't want my best life now. I want it in heaven. Because that's far beyond anything we find here on earth. Romans 1.25 says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. People who are in churches today, they want Jesus as an add-on. Lord, I got all this going on. Everything's falling apart. I need you, Jesus. Can you just make my mess blessed? That's not how it works. That Jesus does not exist. You can't have him as an add-on. He is not something extra like you can get on a car when you buy one. When he comes into your life, he demands everything. He demands your old jalopy, all that mess. He demands it. He says, give it to me. And you know what? If you're smart, you give it to him anyway. Because what you got ain't worth keeping. because what you got isn't worth anything. I would rather have him free me and buy me from the law of sin and death and become his slave, his friend, his worshiper than to have my best life now. Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he had. And he bought it. Folks, there are a few ways to grow a church. I'm going to give you three of them here in a minute. But when you're done, only one way will actually belong to Jesus and actually be a real church. Way number one. And I told you this when I came. I could grow this church tomorrow by watering down the gospel and not confronting sin. Way number two, I could grow this church tomorrow by preaching things that will make people feel good. And Way number three, I could grow this church by preaching the gospel, calling us all to prayer for salvations and kingdom growth and allow God to send whomever He wills. Now, if you pick one of the first two options, uh, I hate to say this, you're in the wrong church because I won't water down God's word and I won't preach heresy. If the body of the church wants me to go that way someday, then guess what? They can do it without me because I won't be here for it. However, if you want Jesus' power and His will in this church and you're willing to give your all to Jesus to see kingdom grow, and make disciples, then you're in the right church, and we welcome you to this body of believers. Speaking of sharing the gospel, let me share with you something. There was a preacher, and he asked a small boy to show him the way to the post office. And of course, the boy courteously obliged him. He said, thank you. You're a bright and polite young man. How would you like to listen to my sermon this evening so that I can show you the way to heaven? And the boy said, you're going to show me the way to heaven? He was astonished. But you don't even know where the post office is. Rely on God's foolishness, folks. Rely on God's foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start back at verse 21 and go to 25. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jew a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Jews were looking for a political Messiah. They wanted someone to lead an army, to overthrow Rome. But they missed the whole part about the suffering servant. They missed the part about the crucifixion of the Lamb. Oh, he's coming back, and he's going to come back with an army, and he's going to rule the world. But he didn't do that during his first appearance. You know what? During his first appearance, he came as Savior. He did something more miraculous, more joyous, and more wonderful than what they were looking for. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So what did they do? These these Jews, they, they demanded Jesus give them a sign on their terms. Show us a sign if you be the Messiah, they'd say. In other words, God, you do what I want you to do now. Yeah, try that. Let's see how that goes for you. We don't demand anything from God. You can ask, but don't demand it. Matthew twelve thirty eight says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, one greater than Solomon is here. And the Greeks, they they were always looking for a great wisdom, a great knowledge. But God didn't make this too complicated, did he? Remember Romans ten thirteen: Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To the Greeks, that was nonsense. It wasn't hard enough. It didn't require too much intellectual gymnastics. And so they rejected the message. And both groups as a whole rejected it. And then Paul gets kind of indignant. He says, oh yeah? You think this is foolish? God's foolishness is wiser than you are. He goes on to say to the Jews, you think Jesus weak because he isn't the conquering political king you want? Even at his weakest, he is stronger than anyone alive. So let people scoff at you, call you names. Let them beat you and kill you for your faith because Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He said we would be beaten and hated. And you know what? That's okay. Why? Because our message is what changes lives and changes hearts. So don't stop sharing the gospel of Christ. Keep on keeping on. Carry on no matter what. This is the high calling. A calling that on self-examination I know that I can't do. And I can't do it without God's empowerment. With God the Holy Spirit strengthening me though, I can do it. He does it in me. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour. Wow, it will be given to you in that hour. And then he goes on, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Folks, Jesus may look like foolishness to the world. Embrace Him anyway. If I couldn't care what the world thought, I wouldn't be a Christian. Because what I've given up is a whole lot better. A whole lot worse. What I've given up is a whole lot worse than what Christ has given me. He said, Take upon me, take upon you my yoke, for it is light. We need to be proclaiming that message wherever we are. Whatever we're doing, ask God for an opportunity to witness and share the gospel. Ladies, as we stand and sing the invitation, first question always, are you sure that you know Jesus? You sure that he knows you? If not, you better get sure and now's the time. Behold, the day is the day of your salvation. Secondly, have you kind of waned off and really not spoken up when you kind of should have? You ever been there? Lord, I know I should have said something to that individual, and I didn't do it. Forgive me. Ask God to expand your territory. Ask Him to show you some sins when it comes to that, too. As we stand and sing, if you want special prayer, I'll be up here. If you want to join this church by letter, by baptism... By statement, we'll be up here too. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn, Miss Joe.